0: Good morning. morning. We are in the book of Philemon. As I stated earlier, it's a part two in a focus series. What's the focus of your life? Uh, You know, we get to the brand new years. We just embarked on 2010 and uh, matter of fact, let me ask you real quick, how do you say it? Do you say 2010 or do you say 2010? Yeah, so it's all, I I like 2010. I just, I I guess because I just, I like the way it rolls off, but I hear 2010 and that's correct and I don't know if there's a correct weight. Do you know what our president says? I, I don't. How does he say it? How about our governor? Anybody care? Okay. Anyway, anyway, uh, twenty ten or two thousand ten for you. Oh, this morning we are. Uh, but as, as you hit a new year, I was thinking about a brand new year. Man, we make resolutions and we think, hey, this year I'm going to lose this much weight. I'm going to run this many miles. I'm going to lift this many pounds. I'm going to do this, this. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. I'm going to get a new job. Uh, I'm going to study the the 66 books of the Bible, all, all these things we come up with, and then for me it's kind of a double whammy because then I had a birthday yesterday. So what that does is it makes me refocus again about okay what's important and you know what can I do. Well, yesterday my wife asked me a question that is really I'm pondering. I don't have the answer. I, I spent some time last night studying and prayer a lot, and then I at the very end of the night I, I started reflecting on what she'd asked me again, and she asked me. She goes, Keith. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? That's a good question. That's a good question for any of us, isn't it? I'm 51 now, and, uh, and I'm thinking, the rest of my life, what am I going to do? And I have some concepts and generalities I'd like to do, and then I start thinking, but what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And so I just ask you, maybe you're saying, man, Keith, I'm only 13 or 15 years old, or I'm 87, or, I'm, or you're like, man, I just want to get air. Or, or whatever you are on the planet, you begin to ask, what is it? What is focus? And today, I want to begin to look at this thing reframing reframing our focus you know we'll be out here building the building there'll be a framing on the facility and that kind of thing but I think about how do we frame our life and the most important thing I can talk to you about and I do it all the time in some kind of way I talk about frame your life according to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and the body of Christ said that's right amen because This is a thing that's eternal, that has substance and significance. And this is what will not lead you down the path of destruction, but will give you wisdom and joy and power and peace. Uh, Craig Rochelle said one year, uh, he said, uh, I asked God for wisdom. He said, God, that's the one thing I want this year. He's doing a series called One Thing. He said, I want one thing, God. I want wisdom. And I said, well, that's good. And he says, and what God led him to do was to read and study the book of Proverbs every day. And he would read them every day, and that means he read through the book of Proverbs 12 times that year, and probably committed some to memory, and he says, and that's the very thing God did. He granted him wisdom. I know in my own life, I constantly cry out to God for wisdom for my family, for my life, for the church, for wherever I find myself. So I don't know what it is that one thing this year that you're asking God for, but we want to laser, we want to focus in on and go, God, would you frame, would you reframe? Because somehow... Even if you've been a Christian, a Christ follower for a long time, you get off the path. You're not a Christ follower. You're considering the claims of Jesus Christ. You don't know whether they're to be true or not for you. Well, this is a time to reframe and frame your life with him. Well, this book, if you'll look there with me, Philemon, is a small book. You know, it, it's, uh, it's really one page. And it uh, is not doctrinal in nature, but it has truth. It is God's word. It was written for a specific purpose, and it's given to us. There's biblical principles that we find throughout God's word. There's commands. There's uh, meditations. There, there's precepts. There's law. There's all these There's commandments. We, we follow those to, to honor God. But this book has some uh, principles that I think are life-altering, life-changing. So uh, I'll tell you this. Philemon, the book's named after, he was a wealthy landowner business guy there at Colossae where the book of Colossians happened. Very... A very astute kind of guy, and he had power and prestige. And in that culture, slaves were very common. Uh, They treated slaves a lot different than we did here. In America, the Civil War and passed and or in England, but uh, sixty million slaves at that day they say so so many people had slaves, but so many of them they, uh, you know they really had a job and they took care of them and, and, and i 'm sure there was cruelty there too. But as you begin to look at it there 's a slave that shows up, and his name is Onesmus. It looks like one simus or whatever, but it 's anesmus and nobody ever names their kid anesmus and, and it's really it, you 're saying, well, who wants to name their kid after a thug or after a slave or a run- away or a thief because he he stole the goods he he took some money he took some goods or both and he fled well the bible talks about that he shows up uh with this uh incredible witness for god this guy had an intellectual pursuit he had a mind he'd had a life change his name was paul and he was always finding himself chained to a guard or house arrest or somewhere. And somehow Philemon ends up, and he comes around, and he, and, and he and, you know, he, he heard Paul at something else. But then Onesimus, the runaway slave, he ends up in jail, and he gets to hear the proclamation of grace. See, Paul, if we know from Scripture, Paul was uh, was the persecutor. He ordered the stoning of Stephen. He he cleared a house. Like if you invited uh, if you invited Paul over to your house in the early days of conversion, you could be sure nobody would show up because they had witnessed him murder and kill and, and incite riots and revolts. And you're like, man, nobody wants to follow this guy. But Barnabas, man, Barnabas always believed. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. The scripture says. And eventually he went out and he writes so much in the New Testament and he becomes this great guy. But Onesimus is this runaway slave that ends up and he hears about the proclaims of Jesus and we'll see what happens. But this is a, uh, I, I know this, in our lives there's walls and many times there's invisible walls even in here and in our life and in our context of community and friendships and they go up and different things separate us and segregate us in race and color and creed and political affiliation and, and economic status have and have nights and on and on and people wear this and people drive that and then some people say like last weekend hey i want to drink pepsi and most of you said i want to drink coke and somebody said well i want to drive a truck and somebody like i don't like trucks i want to drive a car and, and all of them you know this morning i could walk around here and i could incite a rebellion in this church about all the things that we could disagree on and we could have our list wouldn't that just be fun no but I, there's one thing one thing that unites us and it's the lord jesus christ and he is the great unifier that unifies the body of jesus and anytime we find ourselves in disunity disjointed somehow we've left the unity of christ and expressing it one to the other so so really good truth here and so i want us just to begin to walk through and see about this guy because i want you to look at the very front this is a letter of reconciliation. Ask the Lord to obliterate those walls that divide you and bring you together. Lord, those things that really keep us apart, those things that separate us, those things that cause us pain, God, acknowledge, annihilate, obliterate. God, do away with. It's time for us to get on the same page. And it doesn't mean we're going to uh, agree on affiliation of party when we get through with the church. It doesn't mean we're going to uh, agree on all the tenets... Uh, and convictions and pre and uh, post and positions of scripture doesn't mean that but can we agree on jesus see we're an interdenominational church and when we started this in 96 i thought wow this is this is church this is the way it ought to be and i still think that and i love denomination and i had denominational credentials and i turned those in but i love my heritage and and i would not ever slander denomination because it's the body of the lord jesus christ and the church said that is not my job Our, my job is to proclaim jesus And in this place, we have so many denominations and people of confusion that have come together to seek after the one that gives life. And here it is. I think Philemon is is a letter of reconciliation. And the Apostle Paul says we are ministers of reconciliation. We're ministers of grace. So let's begin to look at verse 7. Look there in Philemon 1, verse 7. He says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Man, brother, your, your encouragement, your, your witness, your, your boldness, your integrity, your tenacity, it's, it's, it's refreshed me, it's encouraged me. I don't know about you, but in this weather, when it's so cold, there is really nothing better than a hot, hot shower. Do you, do you have my feel? Do you know what I'm talking about? And I don't know about you, but man, my hot water tank just ain't working like it's supposed to. I think we need to put another one in. You know what I'm? And I don't drink coffee, and that's a, you're saying, oh, man, you're that you're that you're that octane up and no coffee. And today somebody walked in and said, oh, "We got it. We know why. Because I drink a diet Mountain Dew every day, but it's caffeine free." And he says, "Man, that's why. Oh, it's caffeine free, dude. It, and you're still buzzing. Yes. But I'm gonna tell you, in this in this cold weather, and it has caffeine, and I will choose to participate every once in a while." I love a hot chocolate. You know, there's something warm in my hand, you know, just to hold it. You're saying, man, a cup of coffee. Why don't we serve coffee right now? They just warm us up. Oh, no, we're not. Okay, let's move on. So he says, I've written this from a Roman prison around AD 60, and, he, and, and it comes probably from a rented house or whatever, and he begins to proclaim it. And Paul's appeal is based on a common love for Jesus Christ. Because, see, Paul's had his life changed. Philemon's had his life changed anesimus hears about grace and something wonderful happens and and as paul uh he he writes to philemon and, and he says here's what it is he goes i want to be the advocate for Enesmus. in the book of first john there is one he is called the advocate for us and his name is jesus jesus is the superior all-time winning conquering conforming holy advocate for our lives and christ is our advocate so here he is paul he says hey Onesimus, i know who you are and i know who you are now you've drawn near to grace i will be your advocate look look there in verse 11 just if you have a bible look this is good formerly he was useless to you talking about their philemon but now he has become useful both to you and to me and i'm sending him who's my very heart back to you i would like to keep him with me so that I could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel you know when you're chained and you're in house arrest you don't get around very much so he's like hey I need to keep him but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's, a very, he's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. There's been a reframing, a refocus because of change, the change of God, the gospel, the change of Christ, working in the heart of Onesimus. Anesmus gets changed. So what I want to do is I want us to come out of this and I want us to look at two biblical principles. So take your pen and begin to write. Ready? Here it is. The two biblical principles, the number one is face your challenges. We all have challenges. Some of you have small challenges. Some of you have mid Some of you have humongous challenges. And I don't know how you're going to overcome, but I, I believe that God can give you grace for that challenge. But here's what happened. Paul has his life changed. Philemon has his life changed. So he encourages Philemon to do the same to Onesimus. But you see, when your life is changed, I want you to hear this. When your life is changed, you see and you deal with people differently. You see people differently through the eyes of grace. But you deal with them differently. Think about it in your life. How do you treat people? Secondly, once you came to Jesus Christ, did you begin to see even your enemies and those that persecute you and those that oppress you and those that love you and those that grace you? How do you see them? Do you see them as a brother? Do you see them as a sister? And so here it is, this, this Paul you know, he's, he's, stone, he's ordered the stoning of Stephen. He's persecuted the Christian. He's been changed. And it's so over and over, I just say, change, change. So right somewhere in your worship, God. Write that with big caps today. Change. That's what it is to be a follower of Christ. Change. You're a change agent. You've been changed from the inside as Christ forms you. And if you have if you have Christ in you, then the workplace is different where you work. If Christ is forming you, you're different at school. If Christ is in you, then you're different at church. And the church and the body of Christ said a big... You're just different. You're like, man, I need to be different. I mean, man, when I think about before Christ, and even when I think about after Christ, things that I do that are dumb and sinful, but I think of the changes that Jesus has made, and you go, man, the changes in you, and you go, man, this is good. Because Philemon turns over his life to Christ. Paul turns over his life to Christ. In this book, Philemon, Enesmus turns his life over. But you see, I don't know if you know this, in that culture of slavery, the, the owner, the slave owner, he had the legal right to... Go and capture that which had stolen from him, which had run away from him, and he could kill him. No trial; he could just take his life. So Paul's appealing, like Onesimus, you've heard about Jesus, you've been changed. Now this letter we read. Now I want you to go back to Philemon, and I want him to tell. I want you to tell him what has happened to you, that he might receive you not back as a slave. But as a dear, as a dear, as a brother, wow! You are talking about? You want me to face the music? Mm-hmm. I want you to face a challenge, and in facing that challenge, I'll be your advocate. God will be your guard. God will be your grace, y'all. I could quit preaching right now, and I've given enough truth for us to go work on for the next six months. Would you agree, church? So he goes, "Hey, I give you grace. You've stolen from him. You've done wrong." uh maybe they were afraid of revolt of all the slaves because they were so heavily populated because he hey go and do the right thing face your challenge see he saw that uh Onesimus, you need to take the risk you need to take advantage of the opportunity and i want you to deal with it and and i'm praying that paul but the philemon is going to look at you differently He's going to receive you back as a family person. Let's look at uh, three ways to face your challenges, because you and I have challenges. The first way is you curse it. You just curse the challenge. uh, When you have trouble, now, I'm not not giving you all permission to church. Pastor tells to curse and cuss. No, 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 that's not what I said. But you don't have to use vulgar words necessarily to curse something. Has anybody cursed anything this week besides me? Like, oh, come on. Has anybody cursed something that didn't work? One of our elders, I have a witness, praise God. Uh, Nathan, did you, where's Nathan at? Did, Nathan, did you curse anything this week? I just, okay, sometimes we, we curse stuff. We're like, man, can't believe this. Like, here's one, automobiles. Does anybody ever curse automobiles? Man, darn thing. Hey, i tell you what, you go home this afternoon, you're saying, I'm all spiritual, been to church. In the morning, you get up when it's like zero frigid cold and your hot weather heater don't cut, cut on. You don't probably say, bless the Lord for cold water. You probably curse it and call a plumber and curse him if you don't get there quick. Okay, so you curse something. Here's the point B. You nurse it. Oh, man. Oh, pitiful me. Woe is me. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it's somebody else's fault. Uh, It's mom's fault. I'm like this. It's my dad's fault. You know, my dad... You know, I mean, you know, I, I got the thing about this other day. This kind of cool. You know, I got girls, and, and they're beautiful, and they take after their mom, and praise God, and they have hair. But if I had a boy, I'm sure a boy would be going, oh, Dad, come on, man. Look at your head. I'm going to look like that when I get older. And, and, and they would probably curse me, you know. But you know, I hope my girl's hair don't fall out. And, and Jeremy, you hope so too, don't you, bro? But if, but it's you know somebody tell me it's a granddaddy gene leftover or something. I don't know what it is. But so you you curse it, you nurse it. But let me tell you, this is the b- b- best one. You ask God to reverse it. You ask God to reverse it. God, this. Is a bad situation. God, this is bad. But God, could you take good? Could you take this bad situation and redeem it? God, could you restore that which the locust has eaten, says the book of Joel? And one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Joseph. And, and he, man, he redeems the bad. And, man, he gets sewed up by his brothers in the coat of many colors. And he gets thrown into the pit. And he gets accused of crimes he didn't commit. And on and on and on. Man, then life is bad. God elevates him to second in command only to Pharaoh. So, you know, God's starting to redeem. And then there's a famine in the land, and his brother's coming. Man, they're stomping. so hungry. I did need something to eat, man. Come on, feed me. It's our brother. He's going to take our life. And he doesn't. He restores them, and he does a beautiful act of grace. There it is, right there in the Old Testament. But there's a passage I want you to write down. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I found this some years ago, and it's always been a highlight of mine, and every Bible I have, I usually will highlight it. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but what is now being done there is that God intended for good to accomplish what now is being done to saving the saving of many lives. So you intended it for harm. You intended this for harm. The devil intends things for your harm. Others intend stuff for your harm. Let me give you good news. God can take miserable, bad, horrific dismantling situations, and he can redeem them for his glory. Is that good news, church? And in my life and yours, I'm thinking, man, you mean God can take our testimonies and he can turn that upside right and he can make it good and holy and pure? He can. He did it for Joseph. He'll do it for you. So you don't live out of it. But some people say, well, I'm, I'm living out of my first emotion, fear. And that's usually a typical emotion that we have. We're, we're fearful when we run and, and, and we, God wants to move us to the next level of life, but we're scared to make some steps of faith. And in, in 2010, I'm asking you, will you go to the next level? Write that down to somewhere. Will you go to the next level and say, God, I, I don't want to be fearful. I don't want to shrink back. I want to advance in my faith in Christ. You see, you will have opposition in this world. But opportunity knocks. Will you camp out at Opposition Hill? Or will you focus on the opportunity Christ has given you? You know, after the last service, I preached my heart out, and a man came up to me, and he said this. He says, In my life, I've been through this situation very tough. He says, but after today's message, God has shown me with new clarity that God can take my past and he can redeem it and he can use it for his glory and he can use it to help other people. And the church said, I'm talking about you. say, man, if you knew who I was, if you knew my past, God does know your past and when you give it to Jesus he can redeem it. So you see, people that are redeemed, people that are forgiven, people that are saved, people that are born again, they get to do ministry in the body of Christ with the advocate of Jesus Christ. Man, that is man, that's worth preaching, man. That, ooh, ooh. So you determine in your heart to advance and you face your your fear with a courageous heart. So this morning in this message I'll be giving this message here to Troy students and giving it to you. I'm just saying, man, face your fear. Face the challenge. Don't run from it. You're like, man, I, 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 I don't want to. It's like we watch The Biggest Loser around our house. And, and those people, they get bound up and, and and they get in trouble physically and emotionally in all kind of ways. And when they face up that, hey, I'm big and I need some help and I need to do things differently. It is, let me tell you. When If you find me and Donna, we're over doing the elliptical every Tuesday night and we watch this show and I could do it for two hours, I'm motivated by these men and women because they don't have to stay like they are anymore. They can redeem that situation. You're saying, that's on TV? Yeah. How much can a Christ follower take the stuff of his past, face it front on and go, I'm an overcomer in Jesus. Hallelujah. Am I surrounded by people that need to hear grace? You say, Well, no, man, I'm, I'm religious, Pastor. I, I, I've not done very much stuff like you. <laughs> you're probably in the wrong place. I've been redeemed by the blood. How about you? And if, and if you think you hadn't done much, then you're probably full of self righteousness and you, you need some blood today. You need to be covered by Christ. So, what's your focus? You make a choice. Write this down Make a choice to face the battle. Make a choice. I'm going to slay that giant in Jesus' name. The second thing is you focus on the future, not the past. Boy, that's a great truth. You focus on what is ahead. As I, I quoted from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14 last weekend, and we begin to look at that passage. But here it is. If you look ahead, if you look ahead, your windshield is really big. Your rearview mirror is a really small object. And we need to focus, as I said before, but we need to focus on those things ahead. We need to focus on the high prize, the Lord Jesus. Because here's the truth write it down focus will determine your reality what you focus on determines the reality for your life if you focus on being a christ follower you focus on being conformed to the image of jesus and that is the obsession of your soul you become like jesus if your your obsession is to worship yourself then you become like yourself and that boy that's a dismal god that's a little god And if you focus on this situation, that becomes your energy and your passion. And God says, I want to move you on. I want you to live in passion for me and determine in your heart to go forward and to be all you can be. I like what Zachary Tim says. He says, destiny is not about the wrong decisions you've made in life. It's about getting back on track and moving in the direction God's ordained. See, this morning, I could be talking to a lot of people that have gotten off path in 2009 they got off path in 2003 or whenever. But in 2010, you get back on track with the Savior. You begin to walk with Jesus. See, our church is made up of people that come from different churches, styles, denominations, burned out on God, put God on the shelf, don't know about God. My prayer is that our church will grow, not because we transfer the city, but because we have conversion growth in the city. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Okay, well, yeah, yeah, we'll see in a minute. Here you go. I forget about that which is behind. And I press on towards the head. I learn from my past. We learn from our mistakes, but we do forget about it, and we press on, and we get to know him. See, Paul had to leave the shameful actions of his past, of being a a gospel terrorist, of being a murderer, and he had to get on with the grace of Jesus. And we read his letters, and we get encouraged, and we get fired up because he tasted grace. So what's your destiny today? Do you have a future? God says you have a future. He has a plan not to harm you. And God has a future for us as a body of Christ. He has a future for you individually. So the lesson is you turn your back on the past and you look toward the future. And that future always has to include Jesus. And you focus on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. And you follow him. So there's a defining moment. And I want to tell you this, Onesimus. Onesimus his name in the Greek means useful. Write it down. Anesmus means useful. You see... He was useless, but now I hand him back to you. Now I send him back to you, not as a dear slave, but as a dear brother. See, he became useful in the hands of the master. And this morning, I'm just asking you and me, are we useful for Christ? When we've been redeemed, there's a defining moment of grace. When was your defining moment of grace? Do you know when you had a defining? Have you ever had a defining moment? Oh, I remember mine well. I'm speaking to it right now at Troy University live video right now. I'm speaking to that campus where it all started, where I was useless and I became useful because God, by his supernatural power, grafted me into the family of God through Jesus Christ. That's an awesome concept. Has anybody got over that concept but me? I'll never get over it. I don't want to get over it. Do you, church? Church? I want to be excited about my master and follow him. I want to fire you up about God. Defining moment, we live for you. But I want you to see something because this right here, this truth right here is worth the whole message. Ready? Here it is. Verse 11. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past. But now, but now. Oh, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you with him. Comes my own heart. But now. I want you to circle it. I want you to underline it. I want you to tattoo your heart with it. But now. But now. I was far from Christ. But now I've been drawn near. I was full of myself. But now moments are awesome. When was but your now moments? And it's just not moments of salvation. It's just they happen on a regular occurrence if you allow God to work in your life. But now I do this. See, your marriage or your studies or your relationships on campus or school, wherever you find yourself, are not very good. And then you invite Christ to be a part of, but, but now. This relationship went south, and you invite Christ to come in and redeem and reconcile, but now. You're in financial bondage, and you choose to be a part of a financial peace university class, and you get some financial counseling, and you choose to invite Jesus Christ into your finances, but but now. Do, do you hear what I'm saying, church? But But now. Can you say that with me? But, let's say it like we mean it. But now. Yeah, but now I'm serving up. Jesus Christ is king. He's come to take over this boy. Has he come to take over you? But now life has changed. See, in the church, God wants to change us. In the body of Christ, God wants to change us. It's about repenting, turning from sin, and aligning with him. In 2010. It's a simple message, but it's a profound message. And and when I read this, man, I just get fired up. Every time I've ever read philemon I go, man, he is because I know he's useless. He's a nobody. He's a throwaway. He's a runaway. But God didn't think so. God thought, I call you Anesmus, and your name is useful. Live up to it. And Anesmus lives up to the billing. And I think about our lives. They call you this. They call you that. Do you live up to it? And here it is. If you call yourself a Christ follower, do you live up to that calling? Because, see, if you're like Christ, then the world is different. The places um, you're an advocate for God. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. As this letter covers, you're a minister of reconciliation. God, do that in our midst. Challenge our focus. Give us a new focus. And I want you to see this last thing here. This is powerful. If you hold on to the pain of the past... You leave no promise for the future. See, there's some people here today, they want to nurse the past. They want to nurse the sins and the failures and the addictions and the strongholds of the past. And God says, no, I want you to walk after me and focus on my son and get to know him. It's one thing to be in my presence. Now, let me change your life. So this morning, I'm just real curious. Are you living in the pain? Are you holding on to the pain? The pain's been crippling. It's been debilitating. It's held you captive for decades or years or months or a day or a week. And today, guys, I want you to break free. I want you to break free of my son, Jesus Christ. You know what? Paul did. Philemon did. Onesimus did. And you and I can if we receive Christ and walk with him. See, there's a new thing here. I like what Craig Rochelle said. He says at resolution time, people make them. A lot of people make resolutions. And within the first week or so, about 40% of them have already bailed. See, I go to the gym a lot. And when Don and I go over there, I always kind of despise a little bit the first of the year because the gym gets a little crowded and I can't do my thing. You know what I'm saying? People in the way. <laughs> that's a Boy, that's a Christian witness. And boy, that just reeks of Jesus. That reeks of flesh. And, uh, and you give it a few weeks and they usually thin out. You know what I'm saying? And he said, by Valentine, 75% of the people that make resolution to do stuff, they don't do it. And they hang up and say, let's wait till next year. 2011, come on. 2011, 2015, 2019, come on. Y'all, this is the year for the body of Christ, for our fellowship, to be different. Do you believe that? Do you believe that, church? Then we got to do it. Because I said, God, I trust you. I believe you. I'm focusing on the future. I'm not looking to the past. I, I really messed up last year. And God, I want to reframe my focus. We reframe and be one in Christ. No walls of race and affiliation and creed and color and money and prestige and neighborhood and cars and not cars. You just put that down. You go, you know what, God? I want to unify in Jesus Christ. God, I want to be all we can be as a church. And you move forward. You take steps to go to him. I just want to be as raw as I can real quick. This morning, I'm praying. That God is going to shake us as a church, and uh, I just I just don't want to be, and I don't want our church to be what it's kind of becoming. It's a great place; it's got great people. Man, you're here, you're awesome, you're a joy to pastor. But we've settled in a little bit, and we've become a little status quo. Churches do that; they have a habit of doing that. They become holy huddles. And my prayer is that we could truly exist while we started to win the loss to Jesus Christ. To proclaim the excellent name. See, Paul, if he was standing here with me this morning or Philemon or Nesmas, they'd go, there are a lot of useless people down there in Montgomery in the river region. They feel useless. God wants to redeem them and take their past and he wants to get them on a new track with their son. And together, if you and I work together, Y'all, these walls cannot contain what God wants to do with a church that's sold out to his son. I've seen some of these churches around the globe. I long to pastor a church that is so sold out for Jesus that every week I meet people that are absolutely pitiful and in sin, and they're coming out of their sin, and they're finding light in the Savior and they're educated and they're uneducated and they're rich and they're poor and they drive Lexus and they get taxis over here and they get rides and they walk. I don't know what they do. They just want to follow Jesus. Did anybody want to sign up with that journey with your pastor? Do you? Come on church, do you? That's who the church is. But you know what I'm learning? Everybody always wants to ask me how big we are. Everybody asks me that. And I can play that game with the best of people. But when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter if we're 300, 500, 5,000, 50,000. Have people been staying clean? Have people been reconciled with God? Susan Liss, mom, she came to visit our church several years ago. She's a real traditional Southern Baptist woman. Susan said, you know, when I talked to her the other day, she goes, I was scared to bring our mom, my mom to church. I said, what were you scared of? She says, well, you know, our church is different. And I just knew it would be different for hers, but I have wanted her to experience what we experience as a body of Christ. Her mom came in that day and she worshiped. And you know, we all want our mom and daddy's approval, don't we? She listened. And they got through and her mom said, Susan, God is in that place. He fills that place. People want to know and worship Him. I'm glad you and Terry found it. She got called home this week. You know what? I long for that for old people and young people and middle-aged people and unborn people yet to come. So as a church, God has allowed us, and I don't totally understand it, but He has allowed us to build a great facility and we're expanding. But let's not just have cool facilities let's have a place full of the worship of the almighty king i want jesus do you want jesus church i just want jesus the other stuff won't cut it he's the one that keeps you warm let's be a blessing to christ in 2010 well i've shared my heart i did two different messages today didn't i Donna? i really did i preached two entirely different messages But y'all, in the much to come, you and I together will determine our future by what we do. So open your mouth, open your life, open your heart, and say, King Jesus, you can have me. You died for me. Well, that's the story of grace taken out of a little book called Philemon. He became useful, Anesimus. I'll tell you what we're going to do right now. I've brought you to the end of the day, and I don't know uh, if you went over to the altar. I don't know how you did. You were just listening. You were very attentive. I hope you'll seek out one of our elders or seek out somebody and say, hey, I need to know more about Jesus Christ. And people in this room, many know how to tell you about Christ. If they don't just point you. Uh, matter of fact, with our elders that are in the room, one of them's on the road right now. Would you all just stand up? Mark, would you walk into the light? Mark's over there. Nathan, you're, he's like, he's like He's teaching. Well, tell him to stay up there. Okay, anyway. They'll, they'll be glad to help you. Others just walk up to people and say, hey, man, I want to know more about this Jesus that he's been proclaiming. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to exit this place with the attitude of Christ. And we're not going to flip anybody off or be rude or ugly. And we're going to go out in single file lines. And we're going to get in our car. We're going to wait on people to go. And we're going to exit that way. Does that sound good? And if you don't do that, God's mad. So I want you to do it the right way. The other thing is... Chuck would like for some of you to help. Just set up a few chairs, not the whole room, just a few chairs for the a section for the women's breakfast. So, Chuck, if you walk forward, and some of you see Chuck, and he's on set on tables and chairs. That's the women's breakfast next Saturday morning. Women, hope you'll be here. It'll be a great time. And uh, hey, more stuff coming about our small group uh, intro, dessert fellowship. We're doing a brand new thing. I think on January 20th, we're doing a big dessert fellowship at the Bost Home. We'll get you information. That is for people not in small groups, but you want to know more. We think that's how we do discipleship. It's called Acts 2. Y'all ought to go and check it out sometime. Hey, I hope you have a blessed day. I hope you have plenty of hot water. And if you don't, remember, don't curse it, but bless it. Bless you. See you.